Welcome to the latest episode of Train Like a Trooper. We have uh, Trooper BJ Keeling with us today. And Trooper Keeling, we were talking, I saw you, you have a lot of initials after your name. I, I don't, you have, you have several different jobs. Trooper Keeling is assigned to the Highway Safety Office, right. Division of DPS. And um, you've got several, all the initials. Tell us all the initials well, and my, what they stand my for. My name's an initial star. So there you I guess go. Start right. I've got an initial yeah. for a name. Uh, I'm also a DRE instructor, uh, which stands for Drug Recognition Expert. Then I'm also the IDL for the southeast region of the state, which is the Impaired Driver Liaison assigned to the Highway Safety Office. So a lot we're talking impaired driving. Impaired That's driving, your specialty. Yes. Yeah, not just not just drunk driving, drug driving, drunk driving, just impaired in general. And we're talking so DRE, Drug Recognition Expert, like. Trooper Foster and I were talking earlier. There's a lot of troopers that can recognize the signs of impairment. You can see the dilated pupils or things like that, but you're very heavily beyond trained beyond that. Yeah, the DRE program is a is a special program that you the troopers apply for, and the troopers are, or just normal law enforcement in general, not just troopers as well, but they apply for it. They've got to show an advanced uh, interest in a detecting DUI impairment along with um, – They've got to have, there's a lot of knowledge base goes with it. The school is about a two-week school, just of eight to five school work. I mean, I always compare it to college. I studied a lot through college, and I had to study more through DRE school than I did when I was in college. Um, you kind of get like, it's almost kind of like a mini medical school. You get a lot of physiology, toxicology, you know, blood pressure, pulse, learn how to see pupil dilation, measure pupil dilation, and then a lot of ways how to articulate the things that you see when you see all of these things. And then each one of those things goes with a specific drug category because every drug will impair the body in some type of a way. So you may see pupil dilation, you may see eyelid flutters, you may see elevated pulse, you know, lowered pulse. Every drug category has a different aspect on the body. So these troopers and these law enforcement officers that are trained to do this, they've got to work diligently at learning how to do all those things. And then when they get done, once you go through some court proceedings and stuff like that, you can, you can get certified as an expert whenever you go to testify on DUI cases. And I know it helps a lot with the traffic homicide units whenever they come. Uh, they use this a lot for if we have an impaired driver, they want that good, hard evidence that, that we see. And not to say that other troopers aren't trained to see things. It's just more advanced training. You know, we've got um, uh, some other classes and stuff you can go through in DRE investigation or DUI investigation classes that you can go through. And it just really helps those officers nail down to what, what they're seeing. And as far as the DRE goes, we actually make a call to what drug category we see. So I'm not going to necessarily go in and say, hey, they're under the influence of a Xanax. It's going to fall under the depressant category. So that DRE actually goes into and makes a call or calls of multiple categories because we have poly drug use and poly category use as well. So you may have a person using a depressant versus using a narcotic analgesic, and you see contradicting signs there, and you've got to be able to recognize and make those calls. And that's really the value for the patrol and for other law enforcement is, you know, we don't have to as a trooper and I make a traffic stop and I see, you know, all of those observations that I'm seeing to make a traffic stop. And then I walk up, you know, all of those things I can make a DUI arrest without a DRE there. However, that DRE really helps kind of nail down and solidify for the case itself. And that's it really molds the case to what that trooper sees, because our first step when we, when we make a DRE investigation, there's a 12 step process we go by. Our first step is initial interview of the officer. I arrest, I interview the arresting officer. What did he see? Because on some drug categories and some cases, he may see something completely different than what I see when I go do my investigation into it. When I do look at the advanced, advanced field sobriety test or the pupil dilation, the pupil constriction, things like that. So it really does, that's our first first line thing is we interview the officer or the, the arresting trooper to, to see what we've got. 
and it helps a lot when it comes to court. You know, most of your we've always had the set standard with alcohol impairment. We've got this set standard. We've got that per se law that says, hey, if you're above this point level, you're impaired. You know, to where with drugs, we don't have that. We have to prove some type of impairment. And that work falls back on the DREs and the and the arresting officers to prove that type of impairment. So it's important, obviously, to prove that they're impaired. Is it important to prove exactly what caused that impairment? It, it goes along to help, yes. Um, and that's more the, the the courtroom proceedings that goes along with that. To, when we get a blood or toxicology report back that says, hey, they're impaired on this. Hey, can you explain what signs and symptoms? And they usually coincide together. And that's where you build that good, solid, strong case of, of the DUI impairment or the, the DUI arrest. And you're talking about how traffic homicide relies on you on you guys a lot. I mean, you're probably instrumental in getting justice for families. I would exactly. Say, yeah. I mean, there's been I've worked a couple of cases myself to where, you know, and that's why I try to really push to get other guys to that are knowledgeable and want to enforce that to go in and be a DRE just because it's such a vital tool when it comes to a family that's got a life taken away from them and and getting that conviction or that closure for that family, getting that getting that arrest. You know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, drunk driving and that that does get on in the news a lot. Do you think we're seeing an increase in, in the, the drug impaired driving? I do. I think it, it not only in my opinion with it, I think it goes along with some of the trends that are trending. You know, I know, you know, with, with marijuana right now, it's a it's a big trend. It's it's been passed to where you can medically use it. I think the big push is, is trying to get people to understand that marijuana can impair you to drive a car and. You know, it's not the fact we don't look at the fact that you use that. I mean, that it may medically help you, but it just goes along with you can't take a Xanax and drive down the road and be impaired on Xanax, just like you shouldn't be impaired on your marijuana and drive down the road. You know, and um, I see the with the trends I do see that we're on a rise. Um, I think at the Highway Safety Office, we have seen some numbers saying that you know our drug driving is starting to pass our alcohol drunk driving. You know, our, our numbers are starting to increase there. And I, I do believe that's what the trend that we have going on today in society and within within the laws of Oklahoma. And do, typically, I would guess, do you see a lot of, of the mixture, like somebody's had alcohol and they've also had drugs or they've had multiple different kinds of drugs in their system? Yeah, um, we do see a lot of the mixture. And that's why we, we actually give the training through the DRE program of a poly drug use or poly category use. And poly drug is the same of one category. For instance, say like an alcohol and a Xanax would be a poly drug use. So they're 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 both seeing a central nervous system depressants. So that would be what we refer to as a poly drug use. Or you have a poly category use to say, for instance, somebody using cannabis, which is in the cannabis category, which is marijuana, and then using alcohol, which is the depressant category. So you have some different indicators there off of both ones. But I mean, to answer your question, yeah, we do see a lot of both or multiple. I mean, I think my, my all-time call, I think I've had four categories on one person where they've been on the influence of four different categories. So it's just, I mean, and, and like I said, I and mean, you look at, just your own. If somebody goes to the doctor, they they're a they have depression, so they're on an antidepressant, and then they go to another doctor and they have um, they've got a low back pain or something like that. And the doctor gives them, you know, Xanax for their depression, and they give them Lortabs for their low back pain. You know, then you've right there already created a polycategory use. And I know I've seen that just working. That I'm seeing more, you know, combined with alcohol and other things, and it's most of the time it's medicine, you know, that a doctor prescribes, and we're seeing that more and more and more. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, you can even go all the way down to college trends nowadays. You know, whereas, you know, I call it the the people that they want to become impaired cheaper. You know, they'll they'll take a Xanax or something that they already prescribed and then go drink alcohol with it, and they become to an intoxicated state easier and quicker and cheaper. You know, and there's there's all kinds of trends that people do nowadays that that impair them easily. And these are the people. And like I said, it's it's one of those things. If people choose to do these things, you know, 
stay at home. I mean, and I and I've Don't said drive. this I've said this time and time again. There with everybody has a cell phone in their pocket nowadays. Everybody. Everybody's on their device. They have Facebook. They have everything. There's tons of ways. There's to me, there's no excuse anymore to drink and drive in a car. You know, you have a cell phone. If you need a ride, call somebody, have them come pick you up. I mean Uber. Yeah, Uber, you know, and much bunch of metros. But even in the rural lying areas where I'm from, is you've got a friend, call them, come pick you up. It's not worth taking somebody's life or putting yourself in those situations. And it's going to affect your life, exactly. the rest of your life. You know, and, and you know, we talk about stories of why you do this job and why you became this. I mean, I've got a very well-known, it's not a well-known story. I use it my, when I teach my classes all the time of why I even became a DRE. Uh, I was a young trooper. I didn't have probably, I think I'm on year 16, 05, I think that's 16, mm-hmm. 16 years on. I might have had a year or two on. Um, was working a crash, uh, went south. Of, I was just uh, south of Antlers on US 271. Got a call of one vehicle rollover. I show up and I say I wasn't. A, I was a young trooper. I didn't have much training. I didn't have kids at the time. wasn't married at the time. So I pull up and there's this young female standing there and she's, I mean, she's obviously impaired. But I didn't really know what on. Well, I'm sitting there talking to her and she's talking the whole time about her prescription medication. I need my prescription. I need my prescriptions. Well, as I'm doing my inventory of the vehicle, I look in and I see uh, there's a car seat inside the car, like the base. I'm like, and I stop for a minute and I kind of get those chills. And I said, Ma'am, did, did you have your kid with you? And she had no clue. She's like, I, I don't know, because she was so impaired on her medication, she had no clue. Well, as I start looking, and then I, later I found a, a deceased baby up in the road. She she had put the car seat in the car, but she had never never buckled the car seat in. So the baby's in the car seat, got ejected out of the car and roll over. And, you know, we all say, and you can talk to most troopers and most law enforcement, you have that one thing set in your career that kind of guides you down the path of what you want to do. And that was my guiding path for what I wanted to do the rest of my career, because I always wanted to be have answers for the things when I needed to need to take action on the on the criminals you know and the entire way to the jail even after i explained to her that she had just killed her young child she wanted me on the way to the jail to stop and go by the pharmacy to get her prescription medication mm. and so from that point on that's the kind of the guiding path that leaded me down to the advanced impairment side of going to the dre school and and learning all the technology and the different drug categories and learning how to enforce all that do you remember what happened to that mom uh, I don't remember what happened on the case. I think she she pled out to something, and uh, I mean it's been so long ago. Yeah. And I've had so many others since then. Now that, you know, we talk about things running together throughout your entire career of just cases. You you know, you may be sitting there one minute, and a memory pops up of oh hey, I remember this happened. But I know that one really stuck out with me just because it was kind of the deciding path of how it got me to go down the DRE road. I'm sure the ones involving kids are always the toughest. You know, too. and. And I'm sure other troopers, you know, you always have those ones. Kids are always so much tougher. Yeah. But until you get to the point when you have, I think you have your own kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I think society could kind of agree with that as well. When you have your own kids, it really hits hard whenever you go to work that fatality. You got that little baby, you know, because the loss of their life is out of their control. Right. They don't have control of it. You know, it's just here we are. And this is the hand especially, that you Especially when you see that intoxication was the factor. Yep. I mean, it's something so preventable. And when you see that and then you see innocents harmed by it, it really does. Yeah. You know, people talk about the victims, you know, the families and stuff, but it affects the responding officer as well. So, you know, much. And, and I've had this conversation with a couple other people on some interviews I've done. I don't think people really in society in general really think about the aspect of the officer going to work that work that fatality crash. Right. You know, I don't think they understand of, you know, somebody may get stopped by an officer and he's kind of being stand officer, being kind of, you know, somewhat rude. And they don't understand that that day he may have just got done picking up a two-year-old out of the middle of the highway that's deceased and had to try to, or try to resuscitate that kid. And, you know, and then when that's all said and done, it's back to work as normal business. You got to go to the next crash or you got to go to the next call. And 
and I'll tell you after time after time, man, that takes a toll on somebody, you know, doing that day in and day out and seeing the things we see on a daily basis. Right. Now it's time for the Highway Safety Update, brought to you by the Oklahoma Highway Safety Office. Impaired driving continues to be a problem in Oklahoma, but the stats might shock you. While most alcohol-related crashes in Oklahoma happened on the weekends in 2019, most drug-related crashes happened during the work week. More drug-related crashes happened in July than any other month in 2019. With alcohol-related crashes, the late evening and early morning hours were the most likely time for crashes. Drug-related crashes started happening more often in the late morning and early afternoon hours, spiking around 3 p.m. Here are some hard numbers to hear. In 2019, 338 people were killed in alcohol and or drug-related crashes. Of those, 165 were in alcohol-related crashes, 245 were in drug-related crashes, and 72 of those killed were in crashes that involved both alcohol and drugs. Find these and other statistics at our website, ohso.ok.gov. None of these crashes were accidents. All of them could have been prevented. We ask that you do your part. Slow down, buckle up, put your phone down. Always drive sober and drive safe. Live up to the Oklahoma standard. And now back to the podcast. Do you think there's still, I mean, there's been a lot of education, but do you think a lot of people are still like, if, if this is prescribed to me, they kind of think it's okay. It's it's not there as is. bad as um, illegal drugs. You know, and it's one of those things that I always tell people, say, hey, read your prescription bottle. You know, most of these drugs that influence you in some way is going to state that on your prescription bottle. You know, they give you when you check out of the hospital your prescription list, they give you a, li- a big packet of, hey, this is what can it can do to you. And the pharmacies do too. They're required to by law to give you the packet that says, hey, this is the drug you're taking. These are some of the side effects you may see. You just got to take the time to read that. I know the doctor said, hey, yeah, take your medication. But, you know, because some medications will either enhance a, a side effect or, you know, you get just get a lot of contradicting medications. And most of your doctors should tell you that you just have to ask those questions. What does a typical day in the life of a DRE look like? Well, and any I think any DRE, anybody that's been to DRE school, it changes not just your professional life, but your personal life because you do so much into reading people's body language, reading their pupils, how their speech is, how their body language is when they walk up and they present to you, something like that. I mean, in law enforcement in general, we're always reading people as they walk up to us. We we look them up and down. We 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 see what kind of mechanics they're looking like, what they're doing. And then the next thing you know, when you go to the DRE school, now the next thing you know, you walk up and they start coming, you look at their pupil size. Yeah, their pupil size is bigger than they should be in this lighting condition. Or, you know, man, it's, when they turn and look away from you, is their pulse radiant in their neck? It shouldn't be that high. You know, a lot of those things like that, you just, you start reading people on, on every aspect. And same with traffic stops and stuff too. And it really helps when it comes to detecting that impaired individual and some of the, the key thing, things that an untrained officer may not see or may, may not notice. But as far as the daily of a, of a deer on the road, it's just like any other law enforcement. We just, we go out, we stop our, stop our violators and violations that we see. Any impairment we see, we take action on it and do our, do our simple test. And, and I want people to know also when an officer sees something that they may, may do a test on, that's not automatically saying you're impaired. We're saying we see something that might not be normal we see every day. Um, because in law enforcement and most people that stop cars, we stop, you know, anywhere from five to, you know, 15 cars a day of general motoring public. 
And I think that's one thing most officers can say is we're kind of an expert in the general motoring public and how they act when they stop us. And when we see one thing that does something different than totally different than the other 15 people we stopped that day, that's kind of a clue to us or an indicator to us to go, hey, we need to look into this a little bit, make sure everything's okay here. And to make sure that we're letting that person go safely down toward my family or somebody else's family. You know, and, and I don't ever do anything that I would want to jeopardize anybody else's family along with my own. And I've told several officers that, that they're just like, hey, you know, I, I see these signs, I see these indicators, but I'm not sure. I just don't have enough articulation or I'm not sure if that's what I'm seeing. Can you come help me with that? And my question always is, is, okay, I said, do you feel like that person driving your car that you're about to release to drive down the road is safe to drive toward your family at 70 mile an hour? And if your answer to that question is no, then you need to call somebody that knows knows the answer or call somebody that come help you and get a second opinion on it. Are they safe enough to operate yeah. a motor vehicle? And that's, that's, that's our it. main question at the end of the day. Are they, safe, are they safe to operate a motor vehicle for that day? How important is it to be able to articulate that in court too? I'm sure you have to face defense attorneys. Oh, exactly. Yeah, we have to face a lot of defense attorneys, and I've been a, against several of them. You know, and, and articulation, and like uh, Eric was saying a while ago, a normal officers see the things, they just may not know how to explain it. You know, and I look at it like the terrible twos with a, with a, with a toddler. You know, the terrible twos, the reason why they have the terrible twos is because they know what they want, but they can't explain what they want. You know, and I look at it the same way as if you've got an officer that they know what they're seeing, they just can't explain it. And that's where a DRA also can help is go up to that investigation and go, hey, this is what you're seeing and this is why you're seeing that. So that's how you can explain that better. And that way the normal normal public or your jury can understand to what you're explaining. Well, one cool thing about this podcast is that you know, not only troopers listen to it, you know, the general public is listening to it, but also we know that other law enforcement officers around the state are listening to it as well. You know, what is one thing we can tell them, law enforcement specific, that we need more DREs in the state? Why Why should they even think about that? So when it comes to the DRE program, it's a, it's number one, it's a very, there's a very low percentage of officers that do it because it is a very difficult and trying school. I mean, if I can complete it, anybody can complete it. I tell people, it's like, if I, if I can go through it and, and, and try and get through it, you can do it. But to these smaller areas and especially these outrolling agencies, you know, I put it back, you know, on, on the officers. If you want that family to have closure that's had that fatality crash, you know, contact a DRE in your area. And, and there's, there's, they're kind of spread thin throughout the entire state, but we have them. You know, and you can, you can contact your troop headquarters and the troop headquarters tell you if there's a DRE working or not. There's some things that the state's trying to do with the DRE program. Um, uh, David Roberts is the state coordinator for it, um, and we're working. I'm working with him on some other things to try to help spread that out. We actually have a DRE school going right now across the street. Um, I think we've got 14 officers in that, and then I'm the DRE coordinator for the school in Durant coming up in June. So we're going to have another one in June, but it's going to be in a rural area. That way we can get kind of some of your rural agencies to – come in and have those DREs in those outlying areas where we don't have them. Because Oklahoma City and Tulsa, which population basis, they have more DREs than the outlying state. So on a typical day, are you out stopping cars or is a lot of your time devoted to court court things? Um, well, with the IDL program, I don't I don't go out and stop cars all day long. I've got other other duties that I've got to do for the for the highway safety office. But with the um, but if I am out working, yeah, it's I'm stopping cars and I'm looking for impaired drivers to, you know, I've got a, a wide area down there, but it's still, I mean it's home to me and I want people's families to get home safe, just like everybody else's. And, and not just speaking for the people that are causing crashes, but if also for the impaired person, you know, yeah. they, they may not know that that medication impairs them to that, that point. Right. And yes, there's, there's a, there may be some criminal charge comes with that, but at the same point, at least you got home safe. You know, you, you go somewhere safe for the night and then your, your family comes and picks you up and you're not out doing harm to yourself or to somebody else. 
Because we've worked, I mean, me and Eric could relate to that. We've worked those single vehicle fatalities where they didn't hit anybody else, but they were impaired and they hurt themselves. And we're, we're out there to protect not just the impaired person, but also the people's families. So we're, we're taking responsibility for all Oklahomans that way. Yeah, we talk about that a lot in here is that, you know, sometimes arresting people is helping them. I know it's hard to understand or hear, but very much so, we, you know, we, we're helping them you know, not get into a terrible situation sometimes by, by yeah, arresting. Yeah, and, and like I say, with with that arresting, it it may be that, that fine you have to pay or something like that, but is that not paying that fine worth taking your life when you went down the road? Right. You know, and impaired. It's it's not. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but a little bit of money or your life, which one, you, which one is it? And I would rather put that person, have them out a little bit of money than I would have that person have, have to be put in a body bag or have that family not have, have a mother or father or child, something right. like that. It doesn't happen super often, but we do get messages sometimes saying, hey, you know, this trooper stopped me or took me to jail or wrote me a ticket or whatever. And that that saved my life or it set my life on a different path. I think probably in my career, I probably had about two or three that actually walked up to me in a restaurant or something and says, hey, you may not remember me, but I'm so and so. You arrested me several years ago and that helped me turn my life completely around. You know, it scared me enough that I'm not doing that again. You know, I've been clean for this long or I'm not doing that anymore. You know, and it, and it is it's a very humbling experience for one of them to walk up here and say that because. You know, most times people look at you and you're like, oh, I arrested that guy. He's probably really going to be mad. You know, he's not going to talk to me. But it is nice to have those people walk up and say, hey, you helped me out. You know, you did this for me. It really changed my life. Now it's time for our question of the day, brought to you by the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. Well, springtime is here in Oklahoma, Trooper Foster, and with spring comes storms. What is the Highway Patrol's role during a severe weather event? So we uh, really are asked to keep people safe on the interstate and the highway systems. And so we are utilized very often to block roadways, to shut them down, to allow traffic uh, not to enter into a dangerous situation, whether that is where a storm is at, where it's occurring, where it's about to go or if a disaster has happened in that area and we're trying to keep people safe from not going into that area. Also, uh, we are used to spot storms in areas. Now we may be in areas where other people can't get to. And so we can actually be an eyewitness to what is happening on the ground due to our, you know, our radio equipment and things like that and being in those areas. And so we're utilized that way quite often. You know, we, we work hand in hand with other field meteorologists and things like that to get that done. Uh, we do that quite often in the springtime and we prepare for that as that season comes. Thanks Trooper Foster. And now back to the podcast. So you were talking about message for law enforcement earlier. What about just like the general public? Let's say, you know, you get pulled over and the trooper or the officer, whoever asks you to step out for, you know, some of these tests that you guys will do sometimes. What, what's your best advice to the public and a, a motorist know, in that and, situation? And my advice is always, you know, always just to, to comply with law enforcement, you know, and, and, and I will say that the majority of us are out there doing a job that nobody wants to do nowadays. You know, we have a very tough job to do on, on top of that. And our job out there and intention out there is make sure people get home safe. I've got family traveling the roadway. I've got a mom. I've got a dad. I've got a wife. I've got a child. And they're always out on the roadway. I want them to be as safe on the roadway as I do everybody else's families. You know, so my deal is just compliance. Just just comply and do what you're asked. And at the end of the day, it is what it is. I mean, if you're if you're impaired and you shouldn't be, and then that action gets taken, then you probably shouldn't have been impaired. But if you're not, that officer's also going to be trained enough to know, hey, this guy's not impaired. I'm gonna yeah, send him I want to. Yeah, I've made traffic stops. I have where, too. Yeah, where I thought they were intoxicated, I got them out. Did did as you know our standard field sobriety test, and and well, they're you know I I don't have 
I don't have enough indicators to arrest them at all, you know, so. Well, and, and I've made stops before to where I've stopped a person and they weren't acting right and I got them out and it was a either an older person or an older person having a medical issue. Sure. You know, and those medical issues, we've had medical issue crashes just as well of diabetics having diabetic issue driving down the road and not having their candy or snacks within reach like they're supposed to or something like that and they run down the road and crash. You know, those are situations we have as well, you know, and, and um, you can also save somebody's life in that aspect. You know, yes. if you've got a diabetic that's going into diabetic shock or something, you pull them over and go, hey, that, you give me a medic out here. You know, this is this guy's not impaired. He's having a medical problem. And we catch those just as well. So this podcast is called Train Like a Trooper. And a lot of the troopers that we have in here, we ask them, you know, how do you keep your mind sharp? How do you keep your body in shape? How, how do you train? How, what do you, how do you train for your job? Well, with the, with the DRE side of it, it's a lot of reading. I mean, I do I read a lot of studies. Um I go to a lot of trainings. I teach a lot of trainings, you know, and, and I teach a lot. I'm one of the instructors for, for us. I do a lot of our SFSD classes or standardized field sobriety classes. I teach our ARAD classes. I teach um, some basic SFST classes. And then uh, I teach help teach some district attorneys and, and teach some judges and things like that. But, you know, with the DRE stuff, it's a it's an always changing event. So you've got to got to be up with the drug trends on which kind of drugs they're using now and how they're using them and things like that. So that aspect of it's a lot of reading, a lot of research papers, you know, things. Um, with the other, with the trooper part of it is, and that's just mainly I, I eat healthy and I work out, have a good workout program, you know, and try to do that on on a, on a daily basis to try to stay in shape. It's also a perishable skill if you're yeah. if you're not stopping the cars and and doing like what we're talking about that that uh, baseline of what the normal motoring public is, then you start to to yeah, lose you, the you, observation you lose skills. Yeah. Right. yeah, and that's and that's why we're we're trying to implement some new training programs and stuff for for the highway patrol itself to refresh these skills every year. Um, do some refreshing classes on on the SFST stuff, on the A ride side of things, on the DRE side. I've got to put on trainings once a year for the DRE side of of uh, of the job. So I bring all the highway patrol DREs in and give them training once a year. And also the, the DRE is a certification you have to maintain. It's not just something you do and then you're good for the rest of your life. You have to maintain it every year uh, or every two years, I'm sorry. So you, you've got to do so many evaluations in those, those two-year programs. And then you've got to have so many continuing education points every, every two years and uh, keep up with some training and things. So it's an it's a in-depth process. We appreciate you coming in and talking to us about this and we appreciate your service to the state. Thank you.